welcome to the Whispers of the Soul podcast, hosted by Sally Ann Marla and Sibby Spencer. Every week we dive into spiritually rich topics to create conscious conversations to help you, the listener, deepen into your own soul wisdom and practice. The space we create through our discussions invites you into your own inner world whilst we explore ours and our guest speakers. We come together to share stories, creativity, wisdom, insights and laughter. If you feel it's time to become more curious about your own uniquely creative, expressive self that makes you, well, you, then you are in good company. everybody welcome to another podcast episode of whispers of the soul we are at episode 17 um and today's topic is the power of your presence and we have an amazing guest with us today we're very excited to welcome the fabulous joe stockdale who is the founder and owner of well within reach so we're excited about having joe with us today um so a little bit about joe um she um, helps with social and emotional competence and well-being of children, young people and the adults they become. Um, I'm Sally. And I'm Sibby. And very well welcome, Joe. Hi. <laughs> Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. We're very excited we to are. have you. Yeah, it's, it's going to be an amazing topic. And I know that we have a lot of listeners um, who are really curious around what is happening in terms of you know the relationship to themselves their relationship to others and all of that stuff in between that doesn't always get verbalized or isn't always you know in people's awareness Mm -hmm. Um, so I just wonder for people listening if you could just tell them a little bit about the amazing work that you do and kind of what lights you up what makes you passionate about what you do that would be amazing Gosh, how long have you got? I'm trying to keep this brief because I can. I've got a lot to say in this. I I suppose what I am really interested in in is how um, right from the moment children are born, from before they're born, potentially even um, with the right environment and the right experiences and the right relationships, we can make um, an enormous difference to the young people, the adults and the parents and professionals and and whoever that they become. And I think we have, um, we're still only at the very beginning in terms of science, understanding the interplay between nurture and nature, between what we are given genetically. But what we are increasingly understanding is despite all of the, the, the genetic, our kind of DNA that's passed on through our ancestry, we are still incredibly... Uh, pliable and and not just in childhood especially in childhood but what we what we are given in our dna is not does not determine who we are and who we become it's a small percentage of that but we it's our experiences and our environment and our relationships that are largely influential on unlocking the potential that we we are all born with Mm. Mm. yeah that's a really hopeful um sort of 
um outlook as well isn't it to to provide that to people you know to say that we 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 can change we can improve we can learn yes at at any point in life Mm. as well because it's quite um um, quite a lot of the people that I I talk with I, I I deliver training and I talk with all kinds of professionals I work with parents as well but a lot of the professionals I talk to are parents and then they learn the kind of things that I talk about and it can be a little bit alarming quite a lot of people have said oh my god I need to rethink my my parenting style and um I think it's it's very easy for us to kind of get caught up with am I doing everything right am I uh, whether we're working with children or whether we're raising our own children or in whatever relationships we're actually managing in our lives it can be very easy to think we've done it uh, I've done have I caused harm (laughs) to my to my child and all of that kind of thing and um the the important thing about knowing what we are understanding increasingly about the brains and nervous systems is that whatever wherever we are starting from there is always things that we can do to improve the the well-being of ourselves um and the people we are in relationships with whether they are our own children whether they're children we work with or whether they're they you know further on um mm-hmm. throughout the lifespan mm-hmm. So I know I I was lucky enough to attend some training with you, Joe, wasn't I last week? Yeah. Um, I know we were saying that that often that you through this work it highlights the things that you yourself haven't haven't um, developed or you know as a parent processed, processed yeah. or developed or you know yes. skills that you need to work on. But I think that's re- that's really powerful to be able to look at yourself as well isn't it as as a a work in progress you know yeah yeah and we we very much have uh, this kind of model of western society is that children do what adults tell them to do and adults know best yeah (laughs) and actually (laughs) sometimes it's true sometimes it's true but often that kind of dynamic that expectation of a child adult relationship gets in the way of the adults developing themselves because we kind of we sometimes think of ourselves as fully developed because we're fully grown and that's not remotely true and and also it denies um that kind of belief I suppose can deny that children a lot of the intuition and the intelligence that they bring into the world they may not have the life experience or the knowledge or the learning but they've they like all of us are born with a huge amount of brain body intelligence and intuition and the capacity for that so um as you know what we we're going to be kind of exploring in today's podcast is about that kind of tuning in tuning into ourselves and being more self-aware about what's going on for us, but also tuning into the what's going on for other people in our environment, not just children, children and adults, and what's kind of what's being mediated in that space between them. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes we're so caught up in this expectation of this is what the, the relationship should look like, or this is what I should be like because I'm the adult and and I'm I'm in this position or I have this authority or whatever, rather than stopping and listening to that kind of nonverbal communication, listening to our own body and maybe processing whether they're cognitive thoughts or they're more um, 
kind of somatic or deeper sensations about what what's kind of going on for us but we all live at such a rapid pace of life these days smartphone technology has you know been devastating I think in in some respects to actually tuning in and taking space and being still and listening not just to the words but actually the whole sensory environment our intuition other people's silence and all of that kind of thing I was actually I was going to actually say to you in your experience and the work that you're doing what what do you find is that sort of that sort of the common problems if you like for people that aren't able to tune into that power of presence tune into that self-awareness I know you've just mentioned you know iPhones and (laughs) smartphones and technology and you know kind of this Mm. on-demand world that we live in um but yeah, I was just wondering if there's been any sort of key themes that you notice that people listening can pr- perhaps then relate and think, oh, yeah, that might be something I need to look at or that might be something I just need to be more aware of. Um, I think. First of all, we we kind of live in a world and again, I'm relating this I'm relating a lot of this to children but it, yeah. it, that's because it makes a good example, not because it's the only the only example. But we kind of live in a world where, whether well, whether children or adults, but especially children, I suppose, we have this very clear cut idea that we are conditioned to from a very young age that this is what success looks like, mm. and this is what this is what my child, for example, they should be compliant, they should be well behaved, they shouldn't be argumentative, they should talk like this, and all, uh, they should behave a certain way, and, and all of this kind of thing. And we kind of tend to go go along with, this is the journey we should all take, <laughs> it should all more or less look the same for everybody else. Yeah. And if there is a bump in the road or an obstacle or a blind bend or something like that that indicates a problem rather than actually this is just the way that this particular relationship or this particular situation is kind of supposed to be um so i think comparing ourselves to other people is <laughs> is a big is a big problem yeah. and especially you know if i'm talking about the world of of educating or child raising and things like that um, I was just having this conversation with a, a, a friend this morning on the way back from the school run um, about the, the, this is this is the expectation for how my child should be developing. And if they're not developing in a certain way and meeting these milestones, et cetera, et cetera, then we should perceive that as a problem mm. rather than actually the problem is what the, is, the problem is that the expectations are not realistic rather than the child or the adult not meeting the expectations. Mm. So I think in answer to your question, I appreciate I'm taking a bit of a long, a, a long winded way of answering it. We've forgotten the art of being unique human beings. And we have we have kind of and I guess this is something that's been happening over the last couple of hundred years and just growing in intensity as time has passed almost see ourselves as kind of um, machines yeah. <laughs> almost yeah, yeah you know most of us are juggling far too many far more tasks to do lists demands of life than neurobiologically we are designed for yeah and we keep desire we keep creating all of these apps and artificial intelligences and things like that to make to make us more efficient and and all of that kind of thing as human beings 
And um, although I'm not saying that there is no value in those, there there are, but it keeps selling this idea to ourselves yes. that yeah. um, that that's the way we're meant to be operating. And we're not. We're meant to be, as the title of this podcast suggests, present. We're meant to yeah. be present. We're meant to be in the here and now. And so many of us are, are concerned for ourselves as as grown-ups or for our children, what's happening in the future? What are we doing next? What are we working towards? What are our goals? What are our aspirations? And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but we forget to be present. Mm. We forget to be still. We forget to listen and tune in to what's going on, not just for the the other people in our world, but for ourselves as well. I like that we've we've talked about inner knowing before, haven't we, on our yeah um, previous podcasts and there's that I, I I totally agree with you that that we're we're very much looking outward outward aren't we for answers and direction or or approval or sort of you know um information like we've yeah. got a we're looking outwards and um but when you are present and and I'm sure that you'll have some suggestions or how you know of how we can be present more present um, then you you access that that knowledge that often you have you have in within you, don't you? Mm-hmm. You have the ability to find answers within you, and, yes. and you also have the ability to to gain answers in a di- through a different channel than than I know you, we were talking before the podcast mm-hmm. than actually speaking, yeah. and you know you you can sort of get using your intuition, yeah. Yeah, but you have to trust it, and that's the that's yeah. the thing that a lot of us have 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 difficulty with because we might have a a feeling whether we call it a sixth sense or an instinct or an intuition that there's actually some very powerful things that are going on in the nervous system, in the gut and the heart. Literally, I mean, we we talk about that, don't we? We say it kind of I've got a gut feeling, or do I decide with my head or my heart? We're we're aware mm. at, at that kind of level that. We, we kind of have sensations there, but in general, we try to so- solve problems and understand the world and make decisions with our brains. Mm. And our brains are obviously incredibly um, intelligent and incredibly powerful by a considerable distance, scientists say, the most uh, powerful computer on the planet. But actually, that is just part of our intelligence and our brain through um a, a branch called the vagus nerve is connected very strongly with our heart and our gut mm. but we we tend to only listen to the brain because that's the part of the nervous system that makes cognitive sense rational logical sense of the information and because the gut and the heart doesn't give us that kind of information it just gives us that kind of instinctive reaction or response we tend not we tend not to listen to it and also mm-hmm. because they're much more subtle forms of inner communication, whereas our brain tends to think in words. And so we tend to process so much of our response to the world um, verbally, whether it's spoken word or whether we're just thinking in words. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So 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 much of what we're talking about today is kind of giving yourself permission, one, to be present, to stop to to I'm not saying stop listening to the words, but listen to everything, not just your own thoughts or or the words that are being spoken, mm. and tune into what's going on physically and emotionally. Um, 
so there's that's one permission and the second permission like i've I've referred to already is to trust it Mm. you know we're not very good at trusting ourselves for one if we can't if we can't think it logically but two if we can't google it because that's kind of where we go to (laughs) now isn't it it's like if it's not on google it's wrong yeah no it's our own even though it's our own thoughts so yeah uh, like i said i think the smartphone technology and all of that has done wonders for the world in so many respects but we've we are so tied to processing our lives through technology these days i think we forget that actually that's just one branch mm. of how we can move through the world and that there is a whole load of other untapped power within ourselves um to move through the world yeah yeah and it's it's reminds me actually we've had discussions about you know the second part being the trust because you might hear it or feel it but if you don't act on it then it's not going to benefit you and Mm. we've talked a lot about you know we're kind of living in a world now where there's so many mixed messages yes and how Mm. do you find the truth through those mixed messages and I'm I'm not blaming tech or Google per se of of giving those mixed messages, but again, we're then relying on a source outside of ourselves, aren't we, to get the answers instead of it, we we talk about intuitive discernment a little bit, don't we? And this mm. this ability to kind of discern for yourself, work out for yourself based on what is going on internally within your body, and um, I think the way you've just explained it actually it just re- would probably really help people listening um, because like you say, so many of us will have a sensation or awareness of something going on in the gut or even like a flutter in the heart, but they might not be, um, you know, un- uh, give it, giving that any room to to have a, have a say. And what I was going to ask you, Joe, was, you know, I personally, I think that a lot of what we might experience or call conditioning, mm-hmm. particularly within schools, you know, how the younger people are kind of, brought through the educational system there seems to be a lot of emphasis on the cognitive a lot of emphasis on the the le- learning of that kind and not a lot of learning around the intuitive side or the feeling side yes so it's almost like mm-hmm. one kind of dominates the other because there's nothing in place to support the mutual growth of both I don't know what your thoughts are on that or whether you think uh, well kind of predominantly in a cognitive space i think um and i'm not blaming schools here i think it's it's an education it's a systemic problem is that educational policy is not guided by what we know about brain development or nervous system development unfortunately and i think it's not even about cognition it's not even about children using their their whole brains i mean there's 86 billion brain cells a child is born with 86 billion brain cells in their heads but actually if you appreciate how how much power there is you know potentially a million or more neural connections being made a second but like i said at the beginning of this podcast the environment has to be conducive to make that happen and just reflecting on my own experience as a parent my son is in year four at the moment and nationally, I believe it, it times tables are, you know, learning your times tables are, are a big deal. And he's going to be I'm tested. rolling my eyes. <laughs> yeah, national, national tests um, on times tables. And what occurs to me is that what children um, 
what he has been asked to do, and all of his uh, every other year four across the country, he's going through exactly the same thing. He's not even been asked to learn the the ability to use his brain to calculate the mathematical equation is not what is of interest. The only thing that is of interest is whether he can recall the information. And actually, our memory bank, part of our brain called the hippocampus our primary memory bank, does not even sit in the part of the brain that does thinking and learning. It it sits at a much lower, more primitive part of the brain. So memory has a, a, a very important role in learning. Of course it does. But actually to just rely on memory and call it learning, in my opinion, perhaps, is nonsense. You're not using the brain, that the, the, what we call the I refer to as the upstairs brain, the neocortex. That's where we do our thinking and making connections and decision making and problem solving. Memory is not part of of that of that brain. So, um, if we're not actually challenging a brain to make those connections itself and take different pieces of information and make not just the neurological connections, but actually process all of that and just rely on memory. Well, it's it, what a fantastic waste of an amazing brain. You're not transferring the. You're not transferring the skill, are you? You're no. You're learning it by rote. They call it, don't they? Sort yes. Of thing, which is yeah. which is considered really mm. old fashioned now, mm. but obviously still happens. Yeah. Um. And then if you're in a like anything, I suppose if you just, it's like a snapshot, isn't it? You're not processing it so that if then you're given this word problem where you have to use multiplication yeah you know you're not yeah, yeah. You're, you're, not you're not using the skill mm. even my son I mean I know we're, we're going up, up about education but it's really fascinating but it is. even my son identified um once I can't remember exactly how he put it but he said something like well learning it, it, at school is just um they tell me the answers and I said well mm. well I said, what what you're meant to be doing with learning is learning how to find the answer yourself. You know, we were like, yes, we really. He's he's nine as well. I think yours is nine. Is that nine, yeah. Um, he's in year five. He's a young year five. Um, and we just had this very interesting conversation about what learning is. Yeah. You know, is it just them telling you the answers and you've got it right or wrong? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I'm not reflecting on his teachers. You know, this was just no. one particular lesson where, you know, this dynamic was happening. But I was trying to explain the learning process. And actually it's, be, it's giving you the tools to, mm. to yes. and not just not, yourself. Yes. And to ask the questions yourself. Yeah. I mean, for me, that's yeah. a sign of a really yeah. good learner is you know a really good deep learning experience is uh, and, and I appreciate that part part of this is my personal opinion is that you come away with more questions than answers because yeah. that's when your brain has really started to Firing. do some work mm-hmm. you know so you may have got the answer to your question but then that leads on to but what about this and what would happen in that situation and uh, and, and 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 applying that kind of thinking to different yeah contexts and different environments or different relationships and things like that and um you only have to watch a small child you know from when they start to wake up to the world when they're a couple of months old to when they go to school and you know beyond foundation when they learn that learning isn't fun anymore you know Mm -hmm. we don't need to uh teach children how to learn there's there's this 
this idea that's given to us from kind of national policy is that children are resistant to learning, so we must force them. Children aren't resistant to learning. They wouldn't be born with 86 billion brain cells in their head if they didn't know how to learn. They don't need to be taught taught to walk or taught to talk mm. or taught to stick their fingers in plug sockets. I mean, I know we don't want them to do that, but actually what they're doing it, there is learning. They're saying, what does that do? Yeah. What's that for? What happens if I do this? They are the most curious, creative, natural, intuitive little creatures exploring the world and want to know everything. And, you know, there's a, there's a, it's a bit of a gag, isn't it, about children go, why, why, why? <laughs> yeah. And it, 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 it is frustrating as a parent when you're, you're but actually that's wonderful. Imagine mm-hmm. if we had um, classrooms full of children who went to school saying why, 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 and unfortunately, and like I said, I'm not, I'm not blaming schools here. It's a systemic issue. Most of them are just watching the clock and going, when is this going to end? Yeah, and it's, it's. I know we've di- <laughs> digressed slightly, but, but it's I, I say it's, it's, it's a crime against, yeah. it's a crime against children that yeah. so many of them are bored at school. Yeah. Uh, uh, brains are not made to be bored they're bored because they're not doing what mother nature mm. gave them which is 86 billion brain cells mm. designed to make a million or more neural connections every single second they're yeah. not doing that while they're just memorizing facts that they don't actually see as no. relevant or yeah. um mm. uh, part part of their existence, part of their story. And yeah. the, the, and facts that they probably won't need or use anyway, apart from when they have to perhaps need to recall it if it if they're older kids doing exams yeah. and stuff. And yeah. yeah, and I'm not saying, of course, that there's there's no value in our education system. You know, children are learning lots. A lot of it is about how they learn it. Yeah. And and Absolutely. making it making yeah. it making it relevant, making it fit mm. for yeah. them, you know, I'm just I don't know why, but my brain went back to trying to homeschool then the horrors yeah, that was homeschooling yeah. and well, my, yeah, my son yeah. was going through telling the time and measuring that was kind of the maths work that was been been sent home well it's just get a tape measure out and measure something pointless well if he was asked to measure something like right go kick a football and now guess how far that's gone and then get a tape measure out and measure it it'd have gone right now I get this yeah because mm. it's re- now I'm relating this to my own personal interest now now I can see a purpose in it and I want to learn about that so uh, I think it's 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 going to be an ongoing challenge I think is that that personalized learning approach but what I think we are increasingly as parents and educators and whatever feeling is that we are this the education system that was designed for an industrial world when conformism you know, had a place, just doesn't fit anymore. And um, for one, it is, you know, we've seen the the, the mental health of our young people declining, not just since COVID, long before COVID. I think COVID just brought it up to the surface. Um, We've got an enormous problem, huge problem with uh, with young mental health. But that aside, and I'm not trivialising that, that's very, very close to my heart work, but we're shortchanging our children of so many children, so many adults have come through this, the education system and believe themselves to be not very good at learning or not very good at this, not very good at that. 
because they didn't fit the system very well. <laughs> Whereas, you know, what we what we all know is that the system should be designed to fit the people in it rather than the people being expected to fit the system. Yeah. And that's kind Absolutely. of what we've got at the moment. And and this brings us, it does bring in the, the idea of this um, knowledge that we have within and this yes. power of, you know, recognising if we are present that we can maybe find the answers ourselves you know by by how would you sort of um in a situation um where you're interacting with somebody else how could you use that because I know we 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 can you can find the stillness perhaps and in when you're on your own and in you know what I mean and sort of find that still space which obviously we can we can talk about as well but I was just thinking about how we interact with people how how can we use our presence to kind of interact better with each other what do you what do you think about that it's a big question but I'm just it is a big, <laughs> it is a big it is a big question but it's it, I think it's one that needs to be asked still um I think that recognising that when we are sharing a space with another person or other people, even if we are not having um, a conversation or even any kind of meaningful surface contact, if you like, that there is still a great deal of, uh, of interaction that happens. Electromagnetically, we are all, um, we're all very very powerful and this might sound a bit woo woo but actually there's plenty of science that for, for the for the last two decades or more has been decoding this that our our brain has a very powerful electromagnetic field our heart has a mammothly mammothly powerful electromagnetic field and and what research has shown is that human hearts pattern on one another and that happens through concrete walls. So this isn't just about who we're sharing the room with. Human, the, the, the human heartbeats mirror each other. Mm. So I think our own state of mind and our own, it's not just our state of mind because our state of mind affects our state of body, has an impact. Whether we want to or not, this isn't something we can opt out of. Um it has an impact on the nervous system and the brain and the body and the, the functioning of the other people we share our spaces with. So mm -hmm. I think just being mindful um, of that. So obviously it depends what you want from those interactions, from those exchanges, from that, that kind of relationship. But if we always start with actual what's going on for me, <laughs> because yeah. that's, that is a gift that you can transfer to those around you simply by being in the space with them yeah so for example I mean and it's not always easy it's not always possible again I'm reflecting on 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 parenting because that's kind of a a classic example of when you know your child has a meltdown and so often you you know a child has difficulty and you join them in their chaos as the adult yes you join yes. them in their case because when we find uh, for example, that kind, that level of distress, stressful, which we do. Your child is in distress, and that makes you feel stressed. You start to mirror their emotional state. When ideally, what what would the the dream would be is that you maintain your a, a, a stable, mature emotional state of brain and mind and body and all of that, and then the child comes 
into your state but that can take a while especially if they're in a state of flux and and, and emotional chaos themselves Mm. um so i think just knowing that that is at work that that this this kind of energy field around us all which is constantly mediating um so i knowing that that's at work but additionally to that we rely so much on verbal exchanges Mm-hmm. And maybe a bit of facial expression and body, you know, body language. But generally, those very traditional forms of communication that we rely on to have those exchanges rather than sometimes just being in silence and being comfortable with being in silence. Yeah. And and intent. Intent is a very important uh, component of this, especially if you were trying to be tune in to your kind of intu- intuitive senses. If you very, if you do it with intent, it kind of amplifies your capacity to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you're feeling, for example, that something's a bit off, very often if somebody feels a bit off, we kind of go all defensive, don't we? We go, what's your problem? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, have I done something wrong? Yeah. <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. And we kind of get very prickly. And then what happens is that maybe, maybe that person is feeling something is going on for them they may not be aware of it though because that that kind of nervous system may be doing something that their brain hasn't caught up with and so we tune into that and we feel that energetically and so we get prickly as well what have I done and and then that often is what very easily can blow up into conflict or hostility because you get two prickly nervous systems feeding (laughs) off one another rather than actually just taking a moment knowing what we know about what's going on and just just let's try and read this a little bit let's try and just take a bit of time to tune in to what's going on and trust our intuition to give us information that isn't we're not just relying on through those more traditional forms of of communicating Mm. and even if we do feel like we may be you're off with me you've you've done something wrong or uh, uh, maybe feeling a bit defensive when we just take a bit of time to to land and not hurry into problem solving fix it territory yeah. or defending ourselves territory which we so often do we we still we, we can also give ourselves the time to one get in a re, in a calm regulated emotional state so we are better equipped to handle what that exchange might bring mm-hmm. um but also to think of is this is what's the best approach to this rather than asking that have I done something to upset you kind of question because so often that's our that's our kind of our instinctive response but that instinct comes more from a fight flight freeze response Mm. you know that need to be defensive than our kind of deeper body intuitive response Mm. so um I think Part of the issue that we have is that we are we like immediacy, we like things and we we want them and we want them now. We live in a world that has not that is actively helping us to unlearn the art of waiting for anything. Yeah. Um, but I think if, if if we are just able to kind of hold on to this knowledge and, and our patience, if you like, and just take a bit of time to one read what's going on for that person or people and to also read what's going on for ourselves so often it's like this is about you what are you doing you're making me feel like this rather than actually what's going on for me 
And this is part of a conversation that Sibby and I had last week as part of the training. Sometimes we have to recognise that actually this is my problem. This isn't about what's going on for somebody else. It's easy for me to project that outwards and blame somebody. You're making me feel like this. You're making me feel like you you that like you have a problem with me rather than going, actually, this triggers me. When there is an unspoken issue or I feel that there's something unspoken going on in the room, it alarms me or it triggers me or it frustrates me or it scares me. <laughs> and yeah. just knowing actually this is about me and owning that something is going on for me here and it's for me to sit with that and resolve that rather than chuck that out into the world and start making that problem <laughs> about somebody else. Yeah. yeah. But so often we do, we have no idea. We've got no idea that this is what's going on for us because we just feel this thing that's going on in the room and move into that kind of reactive, responsive territory mm. to either fix it or find the answer you know another thing that we really like we need to know the answer rather than just sitting with that well actually something's not going right for me let's just sit with this for a little bit longer and even Mm -hmm. if I don't know what's going on or I can't work it out let's just hold on to that question and let that settle and and sit with that and maybe maybe your um your decision or your, the way you solve the problem is in 10 minutes or 15 minutes or tomorrow or next week to have a conversation about it. I'm not saying let's stop having conversations, mm. but when we've got that self-awareness, when we've had that kind of sense of tuning into ourselves and asking ourselves, is this more about me than it is about you? Then we can at least move into that dialogue or exchange with being mindful of that baggage we might be bringing and 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 not just kind of chucking all of that out there yeah in, into the world we we talked about sitting in it's sitting in the moment didn't we we've sort of um mm. we were talking about situations that are uncomfortable sometimes right like yeah that fix it thing that yes. starts to happen and and sometimes it is a silence and 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 you, you you know when you feel in some situations you 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 can feel the energy in that silence yes but you have to hold you have to sort of hold your space in that silence and yeah. not and not try and fill the silence with a solution or fill it with or acquiesce or you know you know mm. I mean all the things yes completely like, like you say makes sense that that's from the fight flight because you just want everything to be right again yes you, you just yeah. want to make it to be okay because you're in yeah. the alarm yeah but it, yeah, yeah it's very much what we were talking about um last week with the energetic transactions mm. and it's something that I'm super passionate about as an empath because I see so many times as you've explained people fall into that trap of either I need to fix something or I react to something and if you if you lose yourself in that space then you you kind of you're falling into those patterns and then those patterns over time almost become habituated and then it's yeah it's harder mm-hmm. to work backwards and and through it but yeah I, what i really loved about your explanation was how you kind of brought in a little bit more of the actual the science behind it what's going mm. on in the body mm-hmm. um because it all matches what we talk about you know as as an energy healer i'm seeing it more as energy and colors and kind of understanding you know but it all matches up yeah in such a beautiful way and I think that a lot of people you know particularly if they're kind of more geared towards the science would understand that really clearly 
in how you've mm. explained it. And, mm. and, you know, just last week on, on the group that I run, we had quite a few people ask questions around this. of Oh, I'm noticing that I'm reacting in this space or I'm being triggered. And it's kind yeah. of me now that the awareness is coming in of why do I keep doing that? Which is yes. like the first part, isn't it? Of, okay, I know I'm doing something now. Yes. I know yeah. I need to kind of look at this, which is great when you get to that point because you're not just in it still. Um, but what I wanted to ask you was, you know, in terms of what's going on with the nervous system um, and that fight, flight, freeze, um, and how that might even time with the vagus nerve, I, I don't mm. know, but that, that's something that I would imagine is sort of a, almost a physiological response is quite difficult to master you know, if it's kind of, if it's sort of, sort of taking you over at that level. Is, yes. Is that kind of your thoughts on, on that or what's going on with the nervous system in those? Moments? Well, when the fight, flight, freeze response, the organ that's responsible for that or an organelle in the brain called the amygdala. Yeah. And that's in the part of our brain that we are referred to as the primitive brain. It's in kind of in the limbic system. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is that, part of the brain is is there to take care of our most most basic survival but it doesn't think that's the important thing that we kind of have to acknowledge about thinking takes time and survival you know it's has to be being alive is more important (laughs) being alive is more important than being right though so the fight flight freeze response will override the thinking the thinking rational part of the brain Mm. Um, which is why it's really, really important to have a strong thinking brain. It's another, I'm not going to take our conversations back to what children are learning in schools, but 40% of the neocortex, the thinking cognitive brain, is developed by an enriched social and emotional environment. Mm. So if you've got strong social and emotional environments, you're helping to build the Think you're really helping to reinforce the thinking brain. And it stands to reason that we're all subject to fight, flight, freeze response occasionally. But the stronger your thinking capacity is, the more likely your thinking brain is going to be able to recognise, actually, this is just red lights. This is just going to make me five minutes late. It's not a life or death situation. It feels like an inner panic alarm, but it's not. And so you can kind of have that in a dialogue with yourself where the thinking brain can start to moderate the responses of the fight flight freeze response Mm. if we are kind of hijacked by the fight flight freeze response then that has a very very instantaneous uh, reaction through the whole nervous system Mm. through what what, through the, the vagus nerve which i mentioned earlier on so, and this is a nervous system that's referred to as the autonomic nervous system. And I'm I'm really I'm I'm dumbing this down. It's much more complicated um, than this. But in general, there are two opposing branches of the autonomic nervous system. Yeah. One is called the sympathetic nervous system, which is uh, the kind of uh, more aligned with our fight, flight, freeze responses. And we have the parasympathetic nervous system, which is often referred to as the rest and digest system. Mm -hmm. So it's not just a state of we're either in rest or digest Zen mode or we're in fight, flight, freeze mode. Um, But the um, 
in general, that's kind of what's happening when we're in fight, flight, freeze mode. And a lot of the kind of sympathetic nervous activity isn't just that we're hijacked by the fight, flight, freeze. It's that we're in that state of go, 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 go. Got to pick the kids up, got to do the shopping, da, 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 more, 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 rather than that rest or digest parasympathetic state. And it might be, it's easy to think that actually what we should all aspire to do is stay in parasympathetic nervous activity all the time. That's not the case. Just in the same way as a healthy heart rhythm, for example, we would see doing this, a bold, regular pattern. That's what the state, that's the emotional states that we should aspire to kind of be in ourselves. So we have a bold, regular pattern of being in sympathetic activity, so we're busy and active, not not emotionally hijacked into panic, for example, but then we also have these periods of downtime and uptime and downtime. And what we we, we all tend to do as westernised humans is 12 hours of madness <laughs> followed by kind of seven or eight hours of sleep rather than going through this pattern of rest and digest state fight flight freeze state kind of thing so um i think bringing more of that into into our world and if you look at other kind of mammalian species they they you know just thinking of my dog here they don't feel guilty for having a lay down in the sun no. you know they know no. they Apologi- don't have apologetic all, no. yeah. Yeah. yeah they don't have all of this baggage around should and you know, list of jobs to do, and this is what a successful life looks like. I, I know they've got, they don't have the anxieties about paying mortgages and raising children <laughs> and stuff like that. I'm, I'm not saying it's it's as simple as just be more dog, but you know what I mean. If we if we kind of look at at, at the, the 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 rest of the animal kingdom, for example, they teach us how to mm. how to live the existence that we're all made to which is kind of periods of busyness and activity followed by periods of kind of rest and it's in that state of parasympathetic nervous activity that rest and digest state that we are often at our most receptive we are our, our most intuitive we are at our most regulated and our most creative selves mm. because actually that's what allows i mean i haven't spoken about kind of brain body biochemistry that impacts all of this as well but basically when we're in a state of fight flight or freeze we tend to have far too many stressor hormones like adrenaline and cortisol floating around our bodies as well and those themselves ramp up you know if 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 our brains get a sense that adrenaline is high we all have we've all had that kind of physical sensation where even though nothing bad's happening, you feel like you're ready to you're you're ready to pop. And mm-hmm. and 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 that's kind of a state where your amygdala is going, there's a lot of adrenaline in here now. There must be something going on in the environment. And we kind of get to that state of being a little bit like a, a zebra <laughs> on two legs, going, Where's the danger? Where's the danger? Just ready to go. Um and we we want we don't want to be in that state but like i said we need to be intentionally moving ourselves regularly into a slower pattern i.e being present because that helps to um flush those stressor hormones adrenaline and cortisol out of the brain and the body so Mm -hmm. serotonin for example is our brain balancing mood stabilizing hormone and simply by taking some really uh, deep uh, meditative breaths 
Mm. Um, you know, that we take we hear a lot about deep breathing and it doesn't work for everybody and it doesn't work in, in, in every situation where we might be feeling stressed. But simply taking um some deep meditative breaths like four, seven, eight breathing, for example, it can have a whole Im- impact on the nervous system. So mm. when you do that uh, four, seven, eight breathing, I'll quickly explain that for I'm sure that some of your listeners are going to know that, but four, seven, eight breathing is basically where you breathe in through the nose for the count of four. You hold the breath inside the body in a relaxed state, not like, not like that, but in a relaxed state, you hold the breath inside the body for the count of seven, and then you slowly exhale through the mouth for the count of eight. And I can't remember how many rotations you do of that, but I think it's as as little as four or eight rotations of that breathing that you do, and it activates the parasympathetic nervous system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So s- simply by kind of attending to your your emotional state and doing that breathing work, for example, will help sort your brain chemistry out, but it will also sort your nervous system out. And then that's when you often you start to get those much more conducive reactions and interactions and exchanges with others because the people around you are feeding off a parasympathetic nervous system state rather than a fight, flight or freeze state that you might be taking into, into the room. Yeah, what I was going to say, when you're in that fight, flight, freeze, your breathing goes all haywire anyway. Yeah, yeah. So many people develop that shallow breathing, don't they? Mm -hmm. People hold their breaths even. Yes. And what I found, there's a lady that, um, she's a physio and um, a nutritionist. And some of the basic, which she says, sometimes the basic things that I have to do with people is almost reteach them how to breathe. Yes. They've developed these patterns of shallow breathing or holding their breath like if they're stressed in the car or something and mm. and that's just fight flight freeze response taking over it's your body's way of reserving its most precious resources for that point of of alarm so don't mm. don't don't breathe deeply you might need that oxygen in a minute when you're running away from the lion yeah, you yeah. know that kind of thing so i think just attending to our breathing when we sigh for example um, and when we yawn, yawning is a way of our brains try and our bodies trying to um, activate the parasympathetic nervous system. So we often feel like, oh, it's because we're tired. And sometimes it is. But it's usually because the brain's going, I've had enough. I can't take any more of this fight, flight, freeze. So, it, you know, yes. if you're not in a position to lay down <laughs> when you start yawning, just at least listen to your body is telling you what's mm. going on for your nervous system. I bet there's lots of people listening now, giving having a good old yawn. Well, <laughs> but, you know, I, 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 I myself feel myself going. because if if there's ever if even people say the oh, word yawn, I start trying mm. yawning. Yeah, well, yeah. Get, but I you know, look, yawning is is you know it's notoriously contagious, and that's yeah. when we go. Well, that's because nervous systems talk to one another. So when your parasympathetic nervous system is trying to get into that zone, then the other brains and bodies that are around you say, right, let's pattern on that. Let's all get into Mm. parasympathetic rest or digest state. The connection, isn't it? Yeah. And then the connection that you these these invisible connections that you're making with with people around you. Mm. Yes. It's just so fascinating, isn't it? And Mm. and like everything that you're saying, like you can feel when you can you can feel when you bring something to an interaction that's not 
helpful, can't you? You mm. can, you can uh, alternatively, especially with my children, I can feel, say, yeah. I can feel if I come to my children in this presence, you know, in my, um, in a calm, as a calm presence yeah, and a loving presence mm-hmm. and without expectation, you know, and without, I'm not going to make demands or yeah. the, the love that you receive, but it makes perfect sense because you can mm. feel that reciprocation of, mm-hmm. can't you, of connection yeah. and love. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what I'd also say, and we don't intend to watch out for this so much, is that when we are in a state of flux of fight flight ourselves, our children may still bring us their calm yes. state, but yes. we don't tend to listen because we don't we don't copy off our children's behaviour. They co- kind of copy off of us, um, and actually they might bring yeah. their own uh, kind of relaxed, mature brainwave, if you like, for us to tune in on. Yeah. So this is this is kind of goes back to some of the, the conversations we were having right at the beginning about us. We, where we position ourselves because we're the adult yeah is yeah. there there is a certain amount of human interaction that isn't chronological it isn't about chronological development it's just about what uh what emotional state the whole body is in at that time mm. um and the more children are raised with that patterning being offered consistently the more they are likely to maintain their own state of bold mature regular pattern even when as adults we're sometimes going off the wall you know and our children yeah. go you it's know, all right mum it's all right it's all right calm down yeah, yeah. and, and that's though, kind of sorry I, I was just no. gonna say, you see like there's some of the younger children if you if if the adult's in a bit of a funk or you know we've had a bad day and we might have taken them to the park and then you can see kind of how they when they're interacting with you and they're having fun or if they're doing something creative it's it pulls you in doesn't it it yeah. has that same effect of yeah even though they're not you know consciously trying to do anything other than just be a child in that moment you mm. kind of then start to get into the same energy and, and the same yeah. space as them mm. um which I think is it can be really freeing yeah definitely. yes yeah because like you were saying earlier on you know we get kind of almost regimented into our patterns and our responsibilities and our roles and and um yeah we lose that even just have more of an open curiosity around what's yes. what is this that's happening you know and and look at it from that perspective it mm-hmm. it feels a lot more fluid doesn't it and e- easier to to work with um joe we could talk for talk forever couldn't yeah, we, we could. <laughs> a long There's long so time much, and so um, much to it isn't yeah there? and i just yeah. it was really interesting what you were saying about being regulated and self-regulated that's something i've personally researched with some of the stuff that I've done and, you know, I, I mean, I, we could probably do a whole other podcast on that, but um, we're going to have to wrap it up. But I just wanted sure. um, to ask you for people listening, if they want to find out more about you or more about your work, um, where can they do that? How can they do that? Uh, well, my website is, uh, is just wellwithinreach.co.uk um, and my contact details and email and all of that is on there. Okay. Um, I have uh, uh, my Instagram and Facebook handle is Joe Well Within Reach, so that's easy enough to find. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a, a Facebook group as well called Healthy Brains, Thriving Minds. Most of the people in there are parents, but anybody who has got uh, a, a young person or yeah. young people uh, in their lives are, are, are very welcome uh, to join that group. So that sounds brilliant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So for those of you listening, please go and find Joe and 
find out more about the amazing work she's doing um we've loved having you as a guest thank you so much yeah it was just thank you for inviting me really fascinating thank yeah. you joe yeah thanks for listening so if you would like to connect to us elsewhere in the multiverse well you can you can find me sally at thecreativeview.co.uk or on instagram as the.creative.u for Sibby, her website is healingrights.com and she's also on Instagram as Sibby Rights. Lots of love. See you soon.